This is Bam Electric Ghost and welcome Forest Hills and New York City indie rock band uh, to the program. Uh, we've been doing this podcast since 2018 and we interview indie artists from around the world and now we're interviewing Forest Hills from New York City. So it's great to have you guys on the show. You guys got the questions I sent you, right? Yes. Yeah. Cool. So we're going to run through that and then we'll kind of have the discussion open up from there. Um, so usually I ask all the bands I talk to and uh, you, both of you can a- answer this in whatever order you want to. Like, when did you first get into music at what age? Whoever wants to take that. Yeah, I mean, I'm zero, by the way. Um, I do the vocals and everything except the drums in the band. Um, but I've always sort of been creative at heart. Um, I've been singing since I was able to speak. I really started writing and picking up instruments when I was about 12 years old, but I've always been involved in music in some way or another. What about you, Jack? Um, yeah, my name is Jack. Um, I do all the drums. I started with classical piano when I was around like seven. And then I picked up drums when I was a young teenager on 13, 14. And then just once I learned the basics, I started gigging and playing and just perfecting the art of drumming to music, really. That's cool. So, um, so Zero, what, who, do you play, what instruments do you play besides vocals? Uh, so I'm capable of playing guitar, bass, piano, ukulele, and drums, but I do everything in our band except the drums. So anything that you hear that's not drums is me. That's you. So you're on the keyboard too. I'm a keyboardist, so I'm always interested. Yeah. I'll ask you about some of that later. Yeah, for sure. Um, but um, so, so you've been working on music, both of you, since you were young, uh, since you guys both kind of picked it up uh, in your, you know, before you even teenage, well, when you were teens, right? Yeah, I mean, I did it at 12, and you started learning piano at what? Yeah, I was like, like seven years old, like seven. when I first started going to school. 14, yeah. 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 So that's that's interesting, because a lot of the musicians I've been talking, I've talked to maybe 40 musicians in the last two years, and most of the time I've talked to, I would maybe only a couple, maybe like a handful who hadn't been playing since they were like under, you know, when they were very young or in their teenage, teenage years. It seems like musicians are kind of, kind of born <laughs> yeah <laughs> or, or artists or people who are creatives um seem to and i, I get drawn to creative people i talk to singer songwriters mostly sure. um so that's a very interesting so if you're talking about like in terms of becoming getting into bands how long you've been working in, on music within like the indie scene when did you start doing that For me, I started looking into bands right around age 13. I got into my first band. Um, Forest Hills only formed in October of 2018. So our band's only almost a year, uh, no, almost two years old at this point. Uh, What about you? Um, Yeah, I started really as soon as I could drive my drum kit around. So I didn't start really working with bands until I was 16. Um, And then I really started pursuing it more when I moved to Vegas when I was 20. And I really started like, looking for bands to play gigs with and write music with. That's interesting. So as a drummer, I had that when, when I was in my teens, you know, I was a keyboard player. My brother was a guitar player and we were always looking for drums. I had cars <laughs> <laughs> yep. to come over our house and we'd feed them and say, Hey, you know, we'll give you, a, we'll, we'll buy you a pizza. We'll buy you some beer or something. It's like, you know, get to the house and let's, let's jam. And so we were always trying to find a guy that had a car. And eventually we got a car. We had a station wagon. So we were able to go get drummers. Station wagons <laughs> are great for drums. Yeah. 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 We had a big old like fake wood paneled like Chrysler. And he's like, oh, we can we can get all your drums into this thing. We'll go get you. Yep. <laughs> yep. I've turned down many vehicles because my drums wouldn't fit in them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a big boat, like as big as an SUV. But, um so you realized you had a talent for music early. Um, and so at that, what age did you actually start writing your own material? Were you playing other people's music? Were you, you know, uh, taking your favorite bands and trying to, you know, be cover bands? Or did you actually start writing your own music? I started writing music when I was 12 and I never wanted to be a cover artist. I started completely with my own original material. Um, obviously, as I was learning instruments, I did learn a couple cover tunes just for the sake of learning the instrument. But once I kind of got my footing and got my grounding, I never learned another cover after that. Yeah, that's interesting. So is that the same thing with you? Um, 
Um, yes and no. I had uh, I had so much experience playing piano that technically I learned hundreds yeah. of songs um, by yeah. ear. I learned how to play like classical music. When I started playing drums, I very specifically told my drum teacher that I wanted to learn how to play drums. I didn't necessarily want to learn how to play a certain song. So that's kind of where my creativeness yeah. started was with drumming. Um, and then the first settings I actually learned to play drums in with other people was with church music and like worship music. So I technically had to learn cover songs for that. Um, but even then I very quickly realized that I wanted to be composing and writing my own drum parts. So whenever I look for bands, I would always look for bands that would let me actually dig my teeth in to the song as who I was rather than just listening to past recordings. So as a drummer, who are your, your like reference points? Who are your favorite drummers that like in, in the rock or indie history? Um, I really don't have any specific ones. I, if I hear something that I like, I try to kind of take just that one idea from any of the other drummers that I listen to. Um, so sometimes I won't even know who the drummer is. I'll just hear something that I like in a song and then I'll take that one idea and apply it to what I do. Um, I've never really wanted to be another drummer. I've always wanted to perfect my own art. Um, so I've never really tried to emulate what other people do, honestly. Well, that's interesting because like you, you talk to drummers and you know in my day because I'm in my 50s like everybody was like oh John Bonham oh Mitch Mitchell or Keith Moon you know they're always you know looking at those guys yeah or, or looking at the, like Ringo or looking at the the Motown drummers just because of their technical capabilities if you if you go back and you know, look at like soul bands like the Temptations and the Four Tops and Impressions. There, there's something about some of the, the the Motown drummers had really awesome technique, or even you get the like you know Coltrane or Sun Ra, you know jazz musicians have very specific skill sets. Yeah, and I do uh, tend to lean more towards the jazz. So the more Keith Moon, uh, the Ginger Baker, I tend to people tend to relate my drumming to those types of artists. That's for sure. Yeah, I did hear like I I loved the Keith Moon because he pretty much like solos through the whole almost every <laughs> who album. And it ends up being dun 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 dun, dun in different ways. Yep. <laughs> but 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 it's just so you know emphatic and so kind of had a punk aesthetic that I really was always like, oh, I need to bring that into my music. Even though I'm an electronic musician, I always try to bring kind of jazz capabilities into what I'm doing. But that that's interesting to hear where you're coming from. So for, on the on the on on your vocal side, zero. Sure. Who are your your reference points, or even because you play all the musicians, do you think you can talk about your 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 heroes, your reference points, or people that you get influenced by? Yeah, I mean, definitely similar answer as Jack. Obviously, I'm going to be inherently influenced by what I listen to, just because rock and metal are my favorite genres. But I always specifically tried not to have a hero or an icon because at that point if you're saying I love this person and I want to sound like them you're not being unique you're just being a variation of an artist that already exists so if you want to create music that's truly unique or that's new you you can't really afford to have specific influences so I, I purposefully try not to have them for any instruments that I play well that's interesting so I, 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 the first musician I've actually heard say that that's really cool though that's got that's a, a different way to look at it um yeah because i mean a lot of musicians you know in my day we're all trying to be like the big bands mm-hmm. um, from the time everybody's trying to emulate the, you know zeppelin or the doors or or something not that we wanted to be them and i always tried to have my own voice but we were just kind of like you know in awe of them and not i knew a lot of guys that never would go pick up the guitar again if they couldn't get close to where they want it to be sure. which i think sometimes that that is a problem it's good to have your attitude or your sensibility because then you, you you'll you, you'll think that you can you can't be in the game um if, if you're always comparing yourself to somebody else instead of just accepting your own capabilities and trying to do your own voice exactly if you're just trying to be like someone else you're you're refuting the po- the potential person that you could be you know you can make such amazing things but if you're so focused on sounding like what's out there or being as good as somebody else you're, you're never going to get there because you're completely missing the uniqueness that you may have as a musician and that's why i, I kind of loved it about like the who because they had this punk aesthetic even though it was this big rock band and then i was drawn in the whole punk era to bands like the ramones you know cbgb's uh like the early talking heads bands like who's to do black flag you know a lot of bands that were the whole idea that you didn't have to have Robert Plant's voice. Sure. You, sure. You, you, you could 
be like Johnny Rotten. You could be Joe Strummer. You could, you could come out there like the Ramones and you could just be honest and you could say whatever you wanted. And the, the interesting thing that happened again with Kurt Cobain and, and grunge. And I, I kind of slide into that because I, in your band, I hear a lot uh, of the grunge era. I, I, I do hear uh, like a punk aesthetic that seems to be kind of, um, I kind of hear a lot of PJ Harvey, Smashing Pumpkins, Stone Temple Pilots, Atlas and Chains, like Wild Flag, that type of sound. Yeah, we definitely do get compared a lot to bands from the 90s and like early 2000s. And it's really funny because people will often mash together like at least three to five different bands. And it's a compliment. I take it as a compliment, but it's also like at a certain point when you're having to mash so many things together, at what point does it become its own new thing? Well, it's their own just, thing. You know? Some people have to, you know, they relate to like, you know, oh, for sure. I, I, yeah, I talked to other bands, so I kind of have to kind of pin you down into a genre. You, that a lot of people don't want to be genre. I mean, I'm a genreless myself. That's why I call what I do expansive sound. Because yeah. that's kind of, you know, it means all genres. Yeah. It means like you, you take jazz, you take rock, you take punk, you take progressive rock, and you mix it all together, and you kind of get it. And that's kind of where you guys are. You, you, I, I hear a lot of progressive rock type of stuff. I hear punk. I hear indie. I hear classic rock. I hear a lot of things. So you can pin it down or you can say, well, you're actually doing something new. Yeah, exactly. No, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with being labeled in a genre because, you know, people are going to be looking for you depending on what they already like. It's more just if you say, okay, we're an alt rock band. And then you suddenly say, oh, I have to do my guitar this way because we're alt rock. You know, once you start limiting your creativity because of the label, that's when there's a problem. Well, I think the great thing about today is you see a lot of the genre bending bands. Absolutely. You see a lot of, a lot of groups, they mix hip hop aesthetics, you know, and even hip hop bands cross into hard rock and jazz and actually, you know, hip hop artists have full bands behind them now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they're not just doing samples. So there's a merging of, you know, classic soul. You get a guy like Earl Sweatshirts doing beat poetry with jazz and you know really lo-fi old 70s soul samples and you know stuff that's not obvious stuff that's more indie um and more you know out there more more progressive in a way and and i hear that's why i like talking to to artists that actually are still playing instruments (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah even far between sometimes these days oh yeah oh yeah it's very hard because you know as an electronic musician you know, people forget, well, I'm an old school kind of electronic musician. I, I mean, I play modes. Mm-hmm. I, I play Crawfords. I play Jupiter 8s, uh, SHO5s and stuff. So so I, I'm into analog and modular. And when somebody hears electronic, they think you've got a CDJ and you're a DJ. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I get a little offended because, like, you know, I come to the sound tech and I've got a road case full of Rollins and Moogs and they're like, well, where's your SD card? <laughs> you, know, like, you know, yeah. No, I got a sound check just like you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're, they're like, "Oh, well, how come you just can't use a CDJ with it? Because I'm actually going to play." Yeah. Um, not that that's bad. And I've worked with you know guys who are you know DJs, and I've worked with hip hop guys. It's a different thing. It's yeah. a different type of music. But there, you know, I think there has to be respect for people who actually still play to play their instrument. Absolutely. Uh, because it's a different experience. It's not that you can say one is worse than the other. You can mix the genre. You can work. I've worked with hip hop guys. I've worked with DJs and you can do some cool stuff and you can get new ideas from what they're doing. Um, but I just don't like it being lost. That kind of art of what you're doing kind of goes back to the whole history of, of doing, doing music, right. and actually playing and singing and not just doing samples. So when you guys write, um, do you use like the tools everybody uses a DAW today? Everybody uses digital audio workstations. Or do you go into a, stu- a studio and work with a, a recording engineer? And you you do you do that work at home on a DAW, or do you only do it in the studio? Uh, we own our own studio. Um, it's not a home studio. It's a studio space. We're self-recorded, self-produced. We mix ourselves, master, etc. Um, I do record using a DAW, of course, but when I'm writing songs, I just have my acoustic guitar and my songbook open and I write. That's cool. Well, yeah, I'm kind of an old school guy. I used to use Tascam analog four track and eight track machines. And I kind of made myself not use DAWs. I, I just use hardware recorders. Sure. Because it kind of forces me to go back when I had my reel to reel 
And I think you just do your song craft in a different way. If you don't have all these tools to like easily correct things, then you have to actually craft your song. You know what yeah, I, mean? I definitely do the same thing when I'm recording. Like if I'm doing a guitar take and I mess up, I don't edit it. I just redo the whole. It doesn't matter if it was on the last line of the song. I do the whole take over again. So I definitely also prefer recording and crafting that way. Yeah, I mean, I, so many people, I, I understand, you know, ever since Pro Tools came along that you can kind of take everything you do and fix it. Sure. And not necessarily go back and do 50 takes to get it right that you can actually, you know, take everything you do and kind of just fix it. But I think it kind of takes away that craft that you used to, used to see from, you know, the guys I used to love, you know, the guys I still love, like, yes, you know, and, and uh, Genesis, you know, Peter Gabriel, he, these guys would go and just, you know, hammer it out. Yeah. I mean, and, we take modern technology like the DAWs and the ability to visually see all the files at once. We take that, but then we still use it like it's a tape machine. Yeah. Like, we'll do take after take until we get a good one. We'll save that good one. We'll keep doing a few more takes to see if we can get a better take. And, mm-hmm. like, with drums, normally they're normally they're a one take across. And then occasionally I'll get maybe an intro that sounds just – it feels and sounds amazing. So I'll just put that intro in there. Or yeah. I'll, I'll take that bridge and just take that bridge. But we really try to keep it – the editing limited. And if we start seeing ourselves cutting and, you know, editing too much, we'll just – no do it again no i mean if a take has chemistry that's one thing but at a certain point if you're editing so much you're kind of losing the fact that you're able to just play the song the full way through like i feel like all this editing kind of means that you don't actually have to be able to play your instrument you just sort of have to be able to get something right at some point and just cut and paste it in there and you lose the artistry well i think what you get today is there are musicians and there are producers sure yeah and the producers, you could say they're musicians. They're, I would say they're artists, but they're not the same as like, a, like a studio musician or a core musician like you guys. Right. Or you know, because it's not that they're not an artist, but they they use that technology and they can craft it. And it opens the door that maybe ago they could have never wrote a song, right? Because the technology wouldn't allow them to do it, and now the technology allows somebody that has the drive to write a song, but maybe not the technical capability of playing the song to actually become an artist. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great thing. You know, it's just, that's just not, well, and you get a lot of, there's a lot of producers too, that actually they're great artists and that's why they're able to fix band bands will come to them and yeah, not be able to play the songs, how they're supposed to be able to. And then the producers will take them and actually do them properly. So yeah. it oh, really, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. It goes both ways. So that's oh, yeah. like, guys go up and bands can't director. play the music. Yeah. You know, guys <laughs> that went to Berkeley and they're musical directors and they, you know, they had bands, but the bands weren't as successful or they don't, they're not in the band anymore. Sure. You know, you get like a guy like a Todd Rundgren. He's a great producer and he's done tons of work and he's a great musician and producer. And he does tons of musical direction for tons of other people. Um, yeah. And you, you just, you know, you get to the point where, yeah, it can take a band that had something and then fix it. You know, it was a story where Todd Rungan would like work with like Alex Chilton. You know, and I, I would say Alex Chilton's like a genius from Big Star, but you know, he actually crafted his stuff a little tighter than what he was doing. Sure. Um, and it's just that you know, great musician to me is a great singer, but he, he you can always use a producer to help you, um, no matter what your skills set. You know, absolutely. <laughs> He's like a Lennon McCartney, and <laughs> he can see. I mean, they're great musicians, but if you you, you see what they get the production come in and get the fifth beetle when you get this whole other thing so yeah, yeah. yeah. um so so what DAW do you use because i always get people i always try to pin it down and see what kind of technology people are using uh for drums i normally use logic uh for creating and doing some mixing and then uh i'm going to be using pro tools in the future for some mixing and mastering but normally it's logic 10 yeah, we've used all kinds of software. I've even used GarageBand a lot. It, you know, for what yeah. we're doing, it's it works. Yeah, it, it yeah. captures the audio. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen people, you know, lean the gorillas use like GarageBand on an album. Yeah. Um, I've seen people use their cell phones and just use a voice memo recorder and then bring it in to a full board. You know, because mm-hmm. sometimes you can take something lo-fi. It's like you know, taking a field recording. And then right. using it on an album, you can do anything you want. You could, you know, Jack White takes a plastic $50 guitar. Sure. <laughs> it doesn't really matter if you've got the talent. You can take anything and make it sound good. 
Yeah, there's no <laughs> right or wrong way to do it. It just depends on what kind of sound you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people, you know, they're analog purists or, you know, they want an analog studio or they want, you know, a digital studio or they only want to use samples or they want to use soft. I mean, to me, there's no right or wrong. It's kind of whatever serves the song. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of an analog purist. I, I like to use Moogs. If I'm going to use a bass, you know, that synth bass, I'm probably going to use my Moog. But that doesn't mean I wouldn't use a soft synth if I found something I liked. Exactly. It's kind of like whatever serves the song. Yeah, one day I might use, you know, some kind of plug-in. And the other day I might use a Prophet 5 because I think that's the only thing that's going to work. For sure. Um, so when you guys, because uh, you, you have your own studio, um, you basically you guys can record whenever you want. You don't have to worry about having to pay for studio time, right? Yeah, no, 24-7 access. It's our own private studio. We just pay monthly rent. So it's ours. That's awesome. If, if you got, if you're creative uh, and you, you guys have that much, you know, going on, we have that kind of access. Do you actually work with other bands um, and, and actually become producers for other bands since you have this studio? We may look into doing that in the future, but right now the current space that we have really only fits us. It's a little bit smaller. I mean, I'm sure, you know, New York city real estate. Oh, yeah. Is not, yeah, yeah. 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 I know how big it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So maybe in the future, but not currently. Yeah, I'm in New Hampshire. It's a whole different thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, space doesn't cost as much out here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, that's interesting. But you've got a lot of access to a lot of people, a lot of talent, a lot of artists around. Um, For sure. Yeah, that's cool being in that scene. So w when you guys were, have been a band, how, how long have you been playing the clubs in New York? And then, you know, how far outside of New York have you actually done shows? We don't really do the club scene. Our first show was actually in Los Angeles at the Whiskey A Go Go, which is a huge venue out there. We opened up for the band Orgy. Um, oh, that's, that's an awesome venue. Yeah. And then since then, our, our most recent show before coronavirus kicked in was at the Nest in Brooklyn. It's a little bit smaller, but um, we, we generally try to stay away from like just dive bars and clubs and stuff. We usually go for more concert venue places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the, the Whiskey A Go Go or like a, with that CBGB place you would go if they're still i would love that that would be great if they were still around yeah that would be awesome <laughs> yeah place to see <laughs> <laughs> new york you know i i've played like, some some small places in new york as, as the ghost and i just like like the new york crowd because i was you know if i'm in new hampshire i got a real problem playing new music sure um, they only want to hear folk music if it's new. So I'm electronic, so I don't really fit my area. Right. <laughs> um, so when they come to New York, I can actually play brand new tunes and, and, and people want to hear it. Um, yeah. But again, where I come from, I can't do that. <laughs> right. New York has so much culture and so much diversity that any kind of music you want to do, there's so much talent, but everyone wants to hear something. Yeah. Everyone wants yeah. to see a show. Yeah, that's that's one I always. I mean, I, I take the five hours to get six hours to get there. To, that uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, worthwhile for all the bands that are out here. We've been trying to get a scene, but the the only scene that really works in New Hampshire is kind of folky scene. You know, sure. you sound, sound like Neil Young or Bread or something or America, you'll do okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so, <laughs> so, have you um thought of doing collabs with other artists? Like when I was talking about like, like hip hop or <clears throat> other other genres that would interest you yeah i mean we yeah. definitely be open to doing collaborations in the future um we actually do incorporate a lot of other genres into our music like i rap in a lot of our songs there's screaming there's gothic vocals there's like progressive yeah. guitars we have a lot of different stuff coming into our sound already so i mean at this point in time i'm not really sure what adding in another artist would really do because there are already so many sounds going on but never say never i'd yeah. be more than willing to talk to someone who wants to collaborate for sure well this seems like a thing within the labels and within the kind of like um you know music scene that you know i was on a label one time i got on a label and they're always trying to get features right yeah they're always trying to bring and they were trying sometimes they would try to bring people to fit and I'd be like, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's kind of like, okay, would you want to, it's kind of like as an artist, do you want to maintain a certain sound or do you want to try to open up to different audiences and, and maybe that kind of changes your sound and you're willing to kind of accept it? 
it's yeah. kind of, you have to kind of make a decision which way you want to go. For sure. Yeah. Our band, I mean, like I said before, we don't really care what we're labeled as. We just make the music that we want to make. But that's a big reason why whenever we play shows, we make sure that there's a wide variety in the sounds that are coming. Like we like it when the bands that come on before and after us sound very different from us. You know, we don't mind if we're the heaviest rock band playing with a show with a hip hop artist, a pop artist, because that's great. You know, people like all kinds of music. And when every band during a show sounds the same, it's not very interesting. Yeah, it's kind of, if you get to the trance crowd, you know, or the, like techno crowd, you know, sometimes some of the EDM clubs are very limiting. If right. You're, like if you're an electronic musician and you're more modular or more progressive, where your background came from like Genesis or, you know, or Tangerine, you know, Dream, it's kind of limiting if you're only with a bunch of guys that just want to keep on doing the drop. Exactly. <laughs> it just, it just, it like, come on. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, it just, you know, it's not exciting. I, I, I think the festival scene in Europe, in Asia, is very interesting. I just signed up with a, with, a, with a promoter that can actually get me out there, and then nice. cr- coronavirus happened. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I finally got a booker that was willing to pay my way, pay for my hotel, do everything, and said they were gonna set me up. I get the booker and then this thing happens. I'm like, great. Like, wow. So I have a booking agency and I can't get any shows because there are no shows. It'll <laughs> yeah. happen. It'll happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's just the way things go. But it's just cool to have it. But For yeah, sure. I find that, are you guys willing to go and do the festival scene? Like if it opened up after this thing goes away and we get vaccines and antivirals and everything and clubs start opening, would you be up for playing outside the U.S.? Yeah, we would love to. We're actually looking into doing a national U.S. tour within a year after everything kind of opens back up. And then I think international within the next five years for sure. Yeah, we've been getting quite a bit of attention from like the U.K. and places that are there's yeah. a lot of people that are interested. At in, the rate that we're growing. Music. Yeah. Yeah, the U.K., I think just the whole, you know, the scene in the U.K., you know, you, you, the whole history, you know, Hendrix had to go to London to get found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's kind of that thing, you know, that a lot of jazz bands had to go to London, you know, had to go to Paris, had to go to Berlin, um, right. just just because the, 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 the European audience is so more accepting, you know, just like New York is, but Europe overall is very accepting of new music and, and sure. musicians and they're very supportive of musicians. Um, so I think that that's... Uh, that's always been a big drive. And even I actually was lived in Tokyo for two years in 2004. Oh and the, the Japanese musical audiences are very eclectic. They love everything. Yeah. And, and you can just, like, Tokyo is such an awesome place. I mean, is is that is a place that if you ever get to play there, that is like, it is a total, you know, unbelievable experience. <laughs> um yeah, I think that whole the opening up to the whole world as a musician that you have to be willing to like see wherever you can go. Absolutely. So in terms of um, your experience with the music industry and what's going on with Corona right now, um, what, what are your opinions of like streaming services and opportunities for musicians to actually, you know, be successful? What are your opinions of how things are what's happening in the industry right now? I think definitely the inability to do live shows has negatively impacted musicians in a profound manner. I mean, so many musicians get the majority of their income from live shows. And obviously, like, live stream concerts are a thing, but they generally don't rake in as much income. And streaming, like, Spotify streaming, you can get a thousand streams and you don't even get a dollar for it. So streaming platforms really don't give you any kind of monetary income. Um, you need like an insane, an obscene amount of streams. And at that point, if you're getting that many streams, you're usually getting most of your money from CD sales and stuff anyways. You know, I doubt that Taylor Swift is getting most of her income from streaming. Yeah, and the problem is like even the big, big um, artists like Taylor are not getting the CD sales they got 10 years ago. Right, right. And and the physical media sales are are so down. is this the, you know, streaming, it, it, it's kind of like the radio, which like, you know, we college radio would give you a way to get a band like REM from IRS to Warner Brothers because they <laughs> finally got a big audience and then they were able to get the better deal. Um, 
but it is touring. I mean, even back in the day, you know, you know, IRS records, SST, all the bands I loved, like Black Flag, Who's to Do, they were touring in little Econoline vans. Yeah. <laughs> all across the country, barely getting through. And then they'd have to get picked up by Warner's or, you know, some other big label. Right. To actually get out there. And I guess the Spotify's and the SoundCloud's and the whole, you know, media gets you out there. And maybe it gets you so that you can get your merch out there. He can sell more. He make more money selling T-shirts or posters than your album. Yeah. And I, th- and I think as a musician, that's very disheartening that our art can't actually just cut it on the art itself. You have to, you know, do sync licensing and merch and and all this other stuff to find to actually make money. Yeah, I mean, when selling one T-shirt is five times more than what you get from one year of streaming from a platform, it is definitely disheartening. And, you know, it's, it's good that they exist and it's definitely a great tool for expanding your audience and growing. But in terms of, you know, surviving and being able to buy food and pay rent, it really doesn't yeah. come through. Yeah, it just seems like there should be a new and I think it kind of happened with Napster because there was a time period where you know, the labels and the record companies were really cleaning up and CDs got to the point where they were selling for 18 to $20. Yeah. And and the record labels kind of burned out the audience. They kind of ripped them off and then they kind of opened it up that, you know, music should be free. And then suddenly the, the people who pay for it are the musicians. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when it's, the labels, they kind of maybe messed that up. <laughs> but, um, and now they don't seem to find a way to actually adequately compensate for art exactly Um, yeah it's just that you got to find different ways because like you look at like what's going on is like kids today are more willing to buy an xbox game for 60 bucks or a playstation game for 60 bucks to pay 10 bucks for a physical cd from their favorite band sure so that's what's interesting too is even that industry is actually changing to where they're doing like streaming services for video games now where you don't have to go out and buy a video game so it'll be interesting to see what happens to like graphic designers and stuff too because their stuff is kind of starting to same thing starting to happen to them as musicians yeah the whole industry is starting to really yeah. change yeah i mean when that full i mean what happens is like the day one stuff is still expensive but, and then maybe you get a streaming service you get a free download but they're trying to keep exclusive content at that still that tier where you've got at least downloading you still gotta pay a download right it's, but it's just a matter of like as a musician, like finding new ways to get your music into vehicles that, that have a higher pay. Well, that's the thing. It's really just about adapting and finding new ways. Like, don't, don't remember how you, I mean, don't forget how you, how it used to be done. Like, you still need to do those things with like street teams and with connecting with people and with getting your music out there, but you have to adapt. Like, that's, that's just kind of part of business yeah. adapting to, yeah, yeah. You get your music into the video game. You know, you get yeah. your music onto the sync licensing. You do, like jingles for advertising you know as an electronic musician it's easier for me to do like a 30 second jingle and sell that and be more get more money from that than any of my ghost songs <laughs> yeah but but you know it's you know as a musician okay well i'm a working musician figure it out but but it would be cool if you could actually you know get get your band to make that money <laughs> yeah, especially in a world where it's really not required to be signed to a label anymore. You have so many musicians who are just fully independent, including us. I mean, we're not signed and they yeah, yeah. they find a way to be successful, but it's also saturated the market so much more because now people are like, oh, I don't need to get signed to a label to do music. I can just do it. So there are a lot more people coming in and they're kind of flooding all these different avenues and platforms so it can be a little bit more competitive. Yeah, and then I think you got to be willing to like see where you can go you know like as a musician you kind of open yourself up okay i'll do some sync licensing hey this small label wants to do a small three song ep with me maybe i'll just do an exclusive deal with them for these three songs out of my catalog yeah you know and then i still indie on the rest of my stuff might all be on Bandcamp or i'm running it all by myself but you can kind of because you're running your own career you can make decisions where you, right. you don't have to be exclusive. You can kind of go here, you can go there, you can do this and do that. Be open to working with people, produce other people, show up on other people's records. I mean, there's a lot of ways to kind of navigate it. Exactly. You just have to be willing to kind of, well, maybe I'm not going to be Axl Rose. I'm not going to be Van Halen. I'm not going to break it like, you know, Nirvana. I'm not going to hit that 
level and be willing to kind of like, I'm going to feel comfortable with the level of success, success that I'm, I'm, I'm at, but I'm always striving. But, you know, there's a lot of people that I, I started that they, unless they could reach, you know, MTV, then they gave up. Right. So like yeah. Two years. And it was like, I'm done, you know? And I see that today. I don't think people do that. I, I've seen bands just keep on going. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very heartening because then it's, if you like somebody's music, then they're still around. Well, that's the thing. There's a lot of bands too. They'll make one album and they're done. So if you can kind of prove yeah. yourself to your fans, once you get, once your fans can see that you're invested in what you do and that you're not going anywhere, they'll invest back. Uh, and it's definitely nice to see like being in New York, there's so much artistry here and we've connected with so many bands and a lot of them have been around for at least a decade, maybe more. And they never got big and famous, but it's it's really great to see that they're so committed just to doing music and being artists that they don't really care if they're making millions of dollars or not. They just love it for the music. And that's what we're here for. Yeah, I mean, you get bands like, you know, some of the bands like Liz Fair. I mean, she doesn't make super big money, but she's been around for like 30 years. Right. Um, you know, Juliana Hatfield. I've I've been following her forever. Um, and you know, I was thinking I would you know, I, I you don't have to reach the pinnacle. I mean Bob Mould with Who's to Do. I mean, he's been around forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's a guy I I followed you know, since I was a teenage ager and he's you know, hit certain levels of success, you know, and you know, Dave Grohl knows him and he hangs out with them and uh, you know, he's like a you know, a, a, a ambassador of like punk. <laughs> yeah. but you can you can kind of reach a level in the industry if you just choose to stay involved you know that if you stay in that your peer group and you you keep on plugging at it you can still get there yeah you, sure. you just got to keep going at it and, and once again like jack said like lots of bands will release an album and they kind of disappear off the radar or they break up so kind of once you prove to your fan base that you're not going anywhere and that you're going to keep being a band and keep producing content then they kind of they love you more because they say oh this this band isn't breaking up anytime soon they're going to keep making music so i was looking at your um on, on spotify and i was looking at the release you have there uh, that is um, your album um, Break Free mm-hmm. from 2019. Are you working on a follow-up to that right now? Are you working on singles or um, what, what could your fans like? We can talk about that album, but I just want to wonder for 2020 where you're going. Our second album, Renegade, which has 12 songs on it, comes out on August 1st and it goes up for pre-sale on iTunes on July 1st. Cool. If you have that pre-sale link, you maybe send it to me. I can put it up on the podcast. Absolutely. Um, so maybe we can talk about Break Free in 2019 and what, what, what you um, wanted to kind of convey with this album. Yeah, I mean, Break Free came out on May 26th of 2019 last year. Um, and actually, when I had met Jack, I already had maybe like eight of the songs already written. And I kind of came to him and I was like, hey, like, you know, I'm wanting to do you know, broadly rock music. I just want to create something that people haven't heard before. Um, and we kind of we kind of got together. And I, I think the album was more us learning how to work together as two new musicians forming a band. Um, whereas our second album has kind of shown how we've come together as a unit rather than two people who are just meeting each other and learning how to work together. So you brought songs that you'd already had, had kind of in the can to the project? Is yeah, that- I mean... I do everything in the band except the drums. So whenever I make a song, I write everything for it, kind of record a little demo for it and send it to Jack. So it was more or less the same either way. I just had already had a few songs that I already knew I wanted going on the album. Cool. And so like, so you even have some of the drums like you put down like with uh, like electronic drum machines or like however you uh, put the rhythm tracks down? I usually don't touch the drums. Um, If I want like a certain sound for drums, I'll say like, hey, like I want a hip hop part here. I want a breakdown here. And, you know, he'll take it. And Jack does like hundreds of takes for each of our songs. Yeah, we actually record drums last. Yeah, we do drums last. Oh, so you'll just totally just have your rhythm guitars and, and, and maybe some keyboards or bass lines, but no percussion at all. No, when I record a demo, I'll do my vocal, I'll do guitar, bass, piano, like I'll do all the instruments that I'm planning to have in the song, but I leave out the drums because that's Jack's thing. And then he'll do his takes. Drums can really mess up anybody. Like the drums aren't, drums aren't really part of the story. They more or less support the story. Um, If I wanted to 
be you know a crazy drummer doing crazy stuff then i should do instrumental music but i want to work with a vocalist Mm -hmm. so the vocals are the story and the melodies that go along with those vocals are also a part of the story um so really drums are there to back up to enhance and to fill in any maybe small gaps to where you know those certain instruments don't fill so yeah that's interesting yeah well i've I've always you know is i've kind of come in a different situation i'm like a one-person band so so i end up doing like everything (laughs) it's under drums but i've I've been in bands where i had a a real drummer but i've kind of like like my one of my role models was like pete townsend and he would actually put down drums on all the Who songs, but he knew Keith Moon wasn't really gonna keep anything he did. Mm-hmm. He he just kind of had it as a this is kind of like a bare bones example what the way I want the song to be. But of course, I know that you're a drummer and I'm not, so you're gonna take that part and you're gonna totally rework it. Yeah, when I met Jack, I was very upfront with him. I was like, you're a drummer. I'm not going to boss you around. Our band is a democracy. And when I give you a song, I want you to make what you think sounds best to it. We can talk about it afterwards, but I'm never going to tell you what to do, at least initially. So I purposefully never send him like ideas for drums until he's worked at it a few times because mm-hmm. he needs to be able to express himself as a musician. Yeah, that's interesting because I haven't had a lot of discussions with bands that have drummers that have your kind of um, methodology. Sure. <laughs> I, I've, I've um, worked with a lot of bands where, you know, the the people kind of had rhythms and then the drummer kind of reworked it um, or, or does what they think is best, but they even, they had like rhythm tracks. Um, and that's okay. But then at that point, the drummer's not really being allowed to actually be a musician. Um, well, I think, right. Yeah, I think it was more like a demo, and then yeah. the drummer could take it over and just like, well, throw that out. They don't have to keep it. But yeah, um, once you once you hear something though, it gets stuck in your head. Like, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. oh, you think they even hearing it? Oh, it's of, horrible. Pull, it's pull, awful. Pull, I have pull, bands pull. when bands want to work with me, possibly as like a ghostwriting drummer. I'm like, listen, if you want to work with me and you want my sound, I don't want to hear drums. I'm like, I, as soon as I hear a drum part, it's in my head, and oh, yeah. pull, and I'll, I'll be influenced instantly by it. <laughs> So it pollutes your process, so you get to the point where I don't want to hear it at all because it's just gonna. I'm gonna end up taking a piece of it. Yeah, like once I once I feel like I've gotten everything out that I need to, sometimes just for my own entertainment, I'll be like, "Hey, send me what you got. You know, let me see if it's similar. Let me see if I'm anywhere close, just for my own entertainment." But it definitely mm-hmm. it, it pollutes the ears a lot. That's a really cool process. That's something I'm keeping in mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because I think like people need to understand, you know, that's one of the things I love talking to different musicians is like you, every time you talk to like, you know, a bass player or a pianist or a vocalist, you get like a different uh, take on, you know, how people work. And sure. what you guys have told me is very interesting because. Yeah, you know, I mean, procrastination is definitely a huge issue. Like, even for me, I people will always ask me, like, what bands do you listen to? And it kind of reverts back to the whole what are your influences thing is I don't specifically listen to people because I already know, okay, I heard this artist. I like them like inadvertently subconsciously when I'm creating guitar parts, I'm going to make parts that sound like that because I heard a song that I liked, you know? So whenever we're kind of in the writing process, I specifically don't really listen to anybody else's music because cross contamination is, is a thing. You know, if you hear it, whether you're aware of it or not, you're going to make something that's derived from that. Well, yeah. I mean, just as a musician, you know, whether you're listening or not, you might pull out of your subconscious something that was just there. Right. Yeah, because like, like I listen to jazz so much that, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you, you're pulling like Coltrane lines and I subconsciously don't even realize I'm pulling some Sun Ra or something just because it's been in my head. Right. For so, so long that when I play, I have a tendency to bring some kind of phrasing that might be in that zone. That, that I'm pulling any exact song, but maybe the the way they play, like that style. Um, and so sometimes it just happens. And if you're, like you said, if you're listening to something too close, uh, then you are going to bring it in. It's, one thing I find kind of maddening is I get all kinds of um, requests that come through. And they've, they've, they're coming from these like agencies looking for music. And they're always pinning down a very exact sound. Yeah. They're, they're saying sound like this band, this exact song, these exact bars. They, they want 
you know, the, the people in the industry want people, other musicians to clone people exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which if that yeah. happens organically and somebody wants that, then great. Like, I'm glad our music's super relatable and that you can relate to it and that it, it flows along with what you already like. like yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah, it's just interesting that there that they're, they're people in the industry that are, are wanting, maybe why we see so much clone, uh, so many clone sounds is the industry itself is is demanding that a lot of artists that actually, you know, find a way to get into the business are actually, that's their what they do every day. Well, they're looking, they're looking at money. They see that something is successful and then it got big and they say, okay, we want more of that. So they look for artists that are like, hey, we want you to do exactly this because this happened and it made millions of dollars. You know, it, it becomes yeah. more of a more of a business thing. And that's, again, relating back to labels and people who hire as they're in it for the money and the business perspective. Yeah, I think that's what why I tend to talk to indie bands rather than like the bigger commercial bands. Sure. Um, just because I think the industry is kind of like you said when you if you hear the drum, it's kind of polluting. Yeah. <laughs> the environment, and I've been always somebody I I want to hear where things are going, uh, and that's why you know in the indie in the independent world of musicians, you you'll hear all this new stuff, all this cross genre type of music that's going on Mm -hmm. Uh, and if you just listen to you know the billboard you won't hear that you've got to dive a little deeper into you know different corners of the web and and social media where you hear a lot of these bands that are really kind of like what i used to hear on college radio yeah you know i used to actually do college radio when i went to Bowdoin college i was a dj on the radio and i used to always be pushing all the you know the alternative bands at that time or where they would say, you know, college radio bands, uh, like the replacements and who's could do and SST bands, just because that's not what I heard on the radio. Right. <laughs> and so in, in the scene that you guys are in, are you, do, do you still have radio stations in New York that are playing that kind of stuff? Is everything just on the web? Yeah, there. I mean, there are also online like web radio stations, but there's definitely like regular rock radio and whatnot. We actually just got played on one a few weeks ago and they did an album review of us live as well. That was awesome. Was it like a college radio or type of, type of station or just an indie radio? Station? We've had college radios play us. Um, the one that we were on a few weeks ago is called Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, I believe that they're just a regular radio site, right? They're not yeah. affiliated with college. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. They, ha- they still have that. Cause that's kind of like, like the bones of where I, you know, I grew up is, is listening to those type of stations. Yeah. For sure. is, uh, is really where you get inspired uh, as a musician. I really, you know, get keyed off when I hear <laughs> something that's like not, popular i was like well that's what i want to hear right <laughs> you know and get drawn to it and try to get it to be popular <laughs> but um so so you guys like you're working on this album what this second album what's the target date for your second release our second album is coming out august 1st oh it's august. actually already finished it's set it's ready to go we're working on our third album now oh wow so so you're already on to the third yeah you guys have a work ethic. <laughs> yes, I try to be at least uh, two or three albums ahead of myself. So I do have a few songs toward the fourth and fifth, but we don't talk about it yet. <laughs> That's interesting because some bands had the habit, you know, back in the day, like they do a record, they tour, they take a break. You know, you might not see an album for three years. Yeah, uh, it's pretty standard for a band to take like three, four or five years between each album just for writing and doing shows and stuff. But I mean, I've been writing since I was 12 and I've written over a thousand songs. So my mind just kind of it just never stops. I'm writing almost every day. Yeah. So you've got more material. You know, like some bands have a hard time getting, you know, enough material together to actually complete a project. Sure. It, it, it seems to be like something that they have to really work hard at and then other people are just like they're like a prince or something they got like ten thousand songs in the vault yeah um so you seem to be you're more of the person that you got you're you're continually working and you have more than what you can actually put out yeah i mean i definitely consider quality over quantity i write for cathartic value It, it helps me get out negative emotions so i have a ton of songs but i most likely will never use the majority of them just because i wrote them just for the sake of writing and getting my feelings out Oh, so you kind of have a like a whole like back one well, out back back catalog, but I think a lot of artists will have this like you know vault, and then you know it's their own personal vault, and they can go back into it 
And then I'll say, well, yeah, with this thing I did like, like last week or this thing I did two years ago, if I, if I kind of look back at it, maybe I can put it with this song and that song. And then you actually have a project and you can pull out the, like the best of what you've been working on and nobody ever gets to it except your own group of people that you your your bandmates or your or your producers you know that, that's that's interesting I, I, so is that kind of describing what you do there's definitely potential for that in the future usually when i write a song i write a brand new song i don't really pull from previous things that i did um because whenever i write i write about something that i'm going through or something that i'm feeling so it, it's present emotion um, if I ever do slow down creatively, obviously, yeah, I have a huge song bank that I can look back in and uh, grab resources from. But right now, my mind is is still going a million miles a minute, so I have no need to do that. Yeah, I think it's just interesting when you do that. I mean, just as I've gotten older, you know, I'm in my 50s. And sometimes if I go back like five years or 10 years into my back catalog, I, I find things I'm like, wow, I never really finished that. Yeah. And that was really cool. So I could go back to a song I did like five years ago and then go at it again and say, well, now I feel comfortable putting this out. Yeah. I kind of completed the thought. I mean, it's something that over time as a musician, you decide if you want, if, if that makes sense to you, you know, wherever you are. And different musicians, different points in their career, they're, you know, they're where they are. Yeah, for um, sure. Never say never. Yeah, it's just kind of cool that you have your own resource. You, know, you don't have to go to like Fruity Loops and grab some. No. <laughs> please no. Or, no. Please, please no. no. Please no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, even sometimes like just looking like if I have creative block, if I read a couple old songs of mine, I'll get inspired and I won't base my new song off of those, but it gives me an idea. So, you know, it's yeah. kind of useful just having the song bank there to know like, hey, you've written over a thousand songs. You can write another one. You know, this is not it. Yeah, yeah. It's just cool to have that, you know, that resource that you have that um, to be able to go back to. And, I've, you know, there's all these stories of, you know, musicians, you know, pulling things from different periods. I, I was just um, I'm a big Neil Young fan. And uh, he had this album that just came back out that he never put out because it was like too personal. Mm -hmm. It was about a breakup he had with a famous actress. And uh, he never put it out because it was like the songs were about that breakup. Right. And Neil Young's a guy that really puts out stuff that's emotional. I mean, the album he put out instead was Tonight's the Night, which is a very emotional, like, bearing album. Sure. Um, but the album they didn't put out was about a personal relationship with his partner that he had a child with, and he didn't felt it, the songs were too personal. And they come to find out that one of the songs that was on that album he put out as, uh, as Crazy Horse as this really grunged-up, punkish song. <laughs> And then on the album just came out is there like the harvest kind of bluegrass, um, you know, slide guitar version of the song. Sure. The song called White Lines. And there's a, there's a crazy horse version of White Lines. And then there's a harvest type of version of, of White Lines. And so it's like, wow, these are totally diametrically opposed. It, it's the same song, but one of them is kind of punk. Right. The other one's pure acoustic. And the one that was written about a breakup and the other one's kind of like, oh, this kind of grunged out thing. And you're like, wow, that's, that's like interesting to see, you know, what songwriters do with, with their material. Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's just a story. But um, so what are your, um, you know, plans to, to move your art, um, you know, in 2020 and 2021? How 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 are you going to proceed with what you know the way the world is you know today? What do what are you thinking you need to do? I mean, we're going to keep creating. We we have no intentions of slowing down anytime soon. We're going to keep you know investing in our fan base and just growing our band as a whole. We grow very organically. We're independent, so a lot of our fans are are great. They share our content and help us expand. But uh, you know, once things start opening back up, we're definitely going to um, start sending dates for a national tour and try to play all over the U.S. and grow our fan base from there as well. Yeah, we're actually even currently setting up, trying to set up street teams in every every state so that we have people to to get information from as far as, you know, what the best venues are at the moment, especially with so many closing down. It's going to be very important to know which ones are still open which ones maybe are new or, you know. What local bands should we yeah. reach out to? We've also been doing yeah. live stream concerts in the meantime. We have one coming up on July 1st to celebrate the pre-sale of our second album. 
which comes out August 1st, by the way. Um, but yeah, we've been doing live stream concerts on like Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, and those have been really fun. So, you know, people are kind of stuck at home right now and they, they want to see a concert, but everywhere is closed. So they've been coming to our shows online and it's, it's been really nice. Yeah, I actually, you know, my booker actually told me that there's like an opportunity to do live streams that go to like European and Asian audience and to actually pay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so those are getting, you know, more, uh, they're, they're increasing all the time. There's more and more of them getting set up because the venues are realizing they're like, well, we're not going to be able to open until 2021. Right. And they need to find ways to get something going. So some of them are starting to associate with these live stream uh, companies and capabilities. So, yeah, I do think when the, some of the venues come back, some of the ones that we knew might not come back and then there'll be brand new ones. Right. That we don't even know what they are. And so, yeah, the world's going to be a little bit different when we get back, you know, uh, to, to normal. But um, I think everybody's just got to, you know, keep on pushing and, and be, you know, willing to, you know, try new things and see the way things go. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of innovation happening. For sure. And, and I think that's like cool to look forward to in terms of being a musician, just realize like, you know, you might have been doing this for, you know, so many years doing it a certain way. But now, you know, we're in a kind of watershed moment for the world we're in and as musicians. I think we got to be willing to look at every opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, music and art always rises to the top after after tragedy. You know, art and music always comes kind of as a phoenix to a tragic event, and it's you know it won't disappear. It can it can always come out stronger. It might come out different, but it's not going to go away. Do you find yourself writing um, in material that kind of reflects what's going on in, in the current state of society, or are you kind of still writing the way you would have wrote? like you know last year do you feel that you're writing songs that reflect the times or you feel well i'm still writing songs the way i always write songs i mean again i i always write songs based on what i'm feeling what i'm going through and you know my my personal experience so it's a little bit of both i mean i'm still writing the same way but inadvertently because of what's happening right now my writing is being affected by that mm -hmm. yeah I, I find that there's a lot of musicians that maybe didn't write about like things that are more political or maybe maybe more social and they're actually it's kind of creeping into their work where I hadn't seen it before and so that's interesting and I think it's a good sign of actually maybe getting a deeper type of singer songwriter level work you kind of work you know that I grew up with like guys like Carol King and Neil Young and Bob Dylan mm -hmm. and the Doors like song albums that were like album oriented Right. that were kind of very personal like you know Dylan's Tangled Up in Blue or Idiot Wind you know songs you know that had you know Tonight's Tonight you know they're, they're very deep you know personal emotional songs that, that people wrote because they felt like they weren't trying to make a million dollars they just they were feeling pain and they reflected it in their art and the people came to them because they felt something in the song yeah that, that's always been something I've been hoping would come back in music and I see it starting to creep back in the more and more. <laughs> um, but there seems to have been a period where we, that kind of fell off a little bit, but it seems to be coming back. Yeah. Different kinds of music, you know, like rock comes in and out of style, country comes in and out of style, but every, every type of music and every type of musician has waves where they'll be more or less popular. And it's, you know, I, I do think, in like the 2010s we had more of like the dance scene crowd became more popular it was more about pop beats and club beats and stuff but now it's definitely starting to revert back into uh what it was maybe in the early 2000s no even even in the genres that are dance oriented people are starting to realize or that they maybe should have some some social commentary right and so i think it just you know i think all the genres are going to get a deeper feeling when you have such you know catastrophic things that are going on even if you're a dance band you might make a political dance song you know or a song that has like social impact in a genre that maybe doesn't see that um that i think that's that kind of very um I think it's something to look forward to that people being, you know, having a little more depth in what they do. Yeah, I think people being more genuine and just open about who they are as people is it's definitely on the rise. And I'm looking forward to seeing what different artists create. 
Cool. So I'm going to put this out on 11 platforms. Uh, if, if you didn't know, Anchor is part of Spotify. And so we are on Spotify podcast as well as um, Apple and um, nine other platforms. So I will send you like the, the top platform links uh, from Spotify, Anchor and Apple. Awesome. Um, and maybe Radio Public as well. And this will go out um, within an hour. And in addition, it become can become well. I, on my social media, I will push it out as a highlight on my Instagram, which will go directly to the Spotify link. That sounds great. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. Yeah, and let everybody know, like even if you don't have Spotify, you can listen to Spotify podcast for free. Yeah. Um, and so this can be. Um, some people don't realize why well, I don't have Spotify, so they won't listen to it. But you don't have to be a Spotify member to listen to a Spotify podcast. Right. <laughs> So this will be there. So that link can go to anybody. That sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for being on the show. And every band that we've ever had on, we've had on bands multiple times. So when your new album is ready to drop, let us know. We could have an album release podcast and talk about it. That sounds great. That would be perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Have a great night. You too. And you guys stay safe out there and uh, keep on writing, keep on doing what you're doing. You as well. Thank you. Thank talk you so to you much. soon. Okay, thank you. Bye.